0: Hello, beloved Chitheads listeners. You may have noticed that last week the community of spiritual seekers received some sad news. Our beloved Sally Kempton, an incredible teacher of the non-dual Shakta traditions, an author of the incredible books Awakening Shakti, Meditation for the Love of It, Awakening Kali, and many other teachings, passed away from this embodied expression and into other forms of the Shakti. I had the incredible pleasure of talking to Sally on a couple of occasions, once for this podcast episode you're about to hear, which goes back to the early days of the Chitheads podcast, and another time for a panel discussion that I hosted featuring her and a few other teachers. My sense of her then and will always be that this incredible teacher was the real deal. She exuded authenticity, and the many years of her sadhana shined brightly from her. She inspired countless practitioners to take up the practices of non-dual consciousness. I really can't speak too highly about her, and none of us who had the pleasure of meeting or learning from her will ever forget her. But she will always remain with us, pulsating magnanimously from the realm of the Siddha Yoganis. I encourage all of you not only to listen to this entire episode, which I consider one of the greatest ones we've had the pleasure of producing, but also seeking out her books, her teachings, and allowing her beautiful, gentle, profound spirit to lift up and illuminate the unfolding of your own unique path. Jai Ma, Jai Sally, we will miss you greatly. Thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for the teachings that you've enlivened more deeply for the world's benefit. I hope you enjoy this republished episode of the Chitheads podcast. So, hello, Sally. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Hi, Jacob. It's a pleasure.
0: It's really nice to chat with you. I've really enjoyed reading uh, some of your articles that are on your website. Really beautiful work. Such a wonderful writer you are. And I wanted to start off just by talking about your own personal story and and sort of what led you to um, the work that you do now.
1: Uh, well, like many people, I had a, you know, an, a, I would call it a preliminary awakening in my mm. mid-20s, and the experience was of a total opening of the universe to reveal itself as love, which mm. was uh, a very radical experience, as, you know, it always is, mm-hmm. and that started me on a path, and it which eventually led me uh, to pretty much give myself full time to practice. And I became a student of Swami Muktananda traveled with him for many years and then stayed on in the organization. He gave me initiation into sannyasa just before he left his body in 1982. And, uh, so I stayed, I taught and ran, um, courses and other programs there for years and, uh, edited a magazine, et cetera. Uh, and then in 2002, I, after really several years of contemplation about it, I, I really came to the conclusion that for me to, to continue my practice in what felt to me like a, a genuinely realistic, helpful way, I needed to do it without the Swami uniform, Mm -hmm. without an organization, and to be in the world like the people I was teaching. So I started teaching independently in 2002. And, uh, and it's been like that ever since. So I am very much, you know, to this day, a student of my teacher. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and yet, due to my own spiritual education, my own experience, and of course the experience of living in a rapidly changing world. Uh, part of what I've, I've sort of committed myself to doing is to making non-dual teachings as applicable as practical as they can possibly be, mm-hmm. because their life-saving teachings have been for me, and I, I know for you. And yeah. uh, so, so that's I would say that's the that's the you know, life purpose that emerged over the course of this time. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, and, and what's unique about your teachings um, uh, within kind of the 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 school of, of Shaivism teachers that are emerging, that a, a, a lot of which have been, you know, influenced by Muktananda in some way, is that you really emphasize um, this aspect of uh, Kashmiri Shaivism, or maybe not an aspect, it's just a way of looking at it, um, that you refer to as the divine feminine. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about um, what the divine feminine is, and and how it relates to this tradition of Kashmiri Shaivism. Okay, beautiful. So,
1: in in Kashmir Shaivism and in, of course, in Tantra in general, that's is there's, there's this basic understanding that that reality, that the divine reality, is is you know binary, although although. Utterly uh, non-dual, mm-hmm. that it has it has these these two qualities: the quality that we could call awareness or chit, and the quality of ananda or love. And this kind of awareness love quality in reality is personified in the you know the in the understanding of power of divine power as feminine. So Shakti in in the tantric tradition, especially in the shakta tantric tradition, um, Shakti is understood as both. I, I'm going to use a word that they don't really use in Shaivism, but i I find it I find that it really describes my inner experience. Shakti is the erotic allurement and dynamism at the heart of life. Mm. So you know, so in terms of uh, of our practical experience, um, and, and I say this as a great lover of the divine masculine in the form of Shiva and, you know, a practitioner of pure awareness, but the juice, the love, the power, the dynamism in this universe is Shakti, is, you know, is feminine, essentially. Uh, so, and, now, and as you know, the the Kashmiri Shaiva Tantra um, has different branches and schools. Yeah. So, so, and I was trained in the in the non-dual Shiva tradition, in which, you know, my guru was a devotee of Shiva in form as well as uh, as Shiva as, you know, pure formless consciousness, and, and he was also a profound exemplar of uh, of the divine feminine in the form of Kundalini, mm. and a worshipper of Shakti, but never in form. In other words, there was really no in my early years of practice, uh, the, I had no real exposure to to uh, Shakti as as goddess, to Shakti as an object of of you know affection. So there was a moment um, in in uh, the early nineties, or maybe the late eighties, when I was involved in an in a celebration. On, the, of the Navaratri festival, which is the great goddess festival of India, which um, we used to do as a huge, you know, kind of big spiritual party in front of a giant statue of the goddess Durga. And I was telling a story, uh, you know, it was one of my teaching functions. And as I started telling the story, which was the story of Sati and Shiva, the romance of, of Shiva and his, the, his first wife, Sati, uh, I just was overwhelmed with ecstasy. Mm. I literally felt as though particles of joy were you know, f- coming through my crown chakra and expanding my heart and bringing tears to my eyes. And there, that created a complete sort of revol- revolution in my understanding, especially of the physical world. In other words, um, a lot of the, in the, the way that I and I think many people come to understand the quality of the dynamic shakti aspect of reality is in nature so that, you know, that we can actually be once our, once our, our eyes have been opened through, through an inner awakening, we can start to recognize the force of life, mm. you know, in, in the, in trees, right? In water, in, in, in looking into the eyes of another person. In other words, this, this powerful dynamic, relational energy that, that just dances in the physical world. So, uh, I, I began to really examine my life experience, my emotional experience, my, uh, my meditation experience, my embodied experience, my experience of my own body mind as with the understanding that I could look upon them as expressions of Shakti, of goddess, Mm. you know, you know, and, and that, and this is, you know, this was, a lot of this happened through a recognition of the affective power of, um, of presencing reality as feminine. Mm. You know, and I'll give you an example of what I mean. About two days ago, I was talking to a good friend of mine who's going through a very hard time in his life. And had had a particularly difficult, you know, emotional blow that day. And I said, I said, well, just feel as though, you know, every, everything that you're feeling and everything that's coming towards you is arising and subsiding in consciousness. Feel yourself held in awareness. And he took, you know, listened for a minute, tried it and said, it's not working. (laughs) I said, okay, okay, okay. Imagine that you're being surrounded and held in the arms of the Divine Mother. And he said, and he went, oh, okay, that works. And, you know, just in terms of a pragmatic experience of effective, you know, love infused, uh, non-specific devotion, um, using devotion in the larger sense of of a practice that's infused with, with love and affection. Uh, it's been my experience that considering reality considering the body considering the prana considering the mind as aspects of a divine feminine power that's manifesting as us and as the world is is a profound doorway into the experience of love infusing your practice Mm. and your life so so i have a kind of pragmatic um i i i tend to approach sadhana very pragmatically uh and you know in other words what what works to you know to to create a sense of freedom mm-hmm. and pure awareness yeah. that's infused with with affection with tenderness with sweetness so so that's kind of my that's how i I got interested in Shakti as my path because i you know I do think it is mm-hmm. um and then a couple of years later. I began teaching courses in goddesses in the, you know, the different Hindu goddesses, Lakshmi, Saraswati, Kali, uh, and, and really entering into the, the idea of these particular forms of universal energy, how, you know, what the, what the energetic feel of Kali is and how it's different from the energetic field of Lakshmi. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, and it, it really started as a kind of a, i would almost call it you know a a sorting game a kind of a paradigm game in which you know you know in which given the understanding in uh, in the in the shakta tantras that everything in this universe is is an aspect of the divine feminine energy you know that that there are millions of shaktis millions of little energies little goddesses mm-hmm. that are doing everything i you know i began to to see okay can i feel uh, what it's like when the Lakshmi energy of beauty and auspiciousness and you know sweetness is present in the atmosphere can I feel the difference between the love that is part of that field that let's call her Lakshmi and the love that's part of the much more intense energetic field that that I call Kali you know and to to recognize that 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 there are these individual vortexes of energy that we call deity, that have uh, that you know that we can we can discover through mantra that we can discover through visualization of their iconic forms, but that also are energies in us that move through us, and that actually have a place in our personality, as well as in uh, you know as well as in the weather and in the cl- in the <clears throat> in the currents of culture, mm-hmm. as you know we are of
0: course in the
1: midst of one. Yeah one very intense cultural upheaval with many, many different aspects to it.
0: Uh, okay, Sally, I want to rewind just to, for a second and ask you a question because uh, uh, I want to talk more about this, what you're bringing up regarding the deities. But before we move into that, I want to ask you just to kind of clarify, I think, the difference and 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 specifically what this kind of um, approach is offering is uh, two questions. The first one is when you say you, you, you are inviting your friend to presence reality as feminine or you're talking about, you know, this story that was related to presencing reality as feminine, what would be the... What would be the opposite? So, if if this is sort of a new offering, what Great would question. Be, what would be presencing reality as not feminine or as masculine? Or-
1: well, I I do think that that the the foundational um, tendency or understanding in Buddhism and in uh, Advaita Vedanta, in Shankara Vedanta, in many of the of the non-dual traditions, you know, the,
0: yeah.
1: is that they, is that there is this basic assumption that runs through culture that God is male, right. you know, and of course we understand that God is beyond gender. And obviously when I talk about reality as feminine, I really mean not gendered, but yeah. having a particular qualities that, you know, that having the qualities of love and energy rather than simply peace and stillness and, you know, vastness, Uh, so, um, I, I, you know, we are at a moment, of course, we're in a, you know, in a moment where we're in, in the heart of a social and political revolution involving the, you know, the lives and the perspectives of the human feminine. Uh, so it has a lot of, I think it has an enormous resonance to, to see reality as goddess. Um, but, I would say, if if it's okay with you for me to talk in these, you know, sort of nakedly idolatrous terms, please do. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I I'm a, I really am a, you know, lover of the divine masculine in the form of Shiva, and have been for many years. So, uh, the the recognition that that what I what I love in the Shiva awareness, you know, which is that vast, you know, aware, um, undifferentiated spaciousness, you know, the, the freedom and stillness that, that what, that what I loved about it was not just its transcendent qualities, but the pulsing excitement at the heart of it. Mm. Uh, and that's what I came to recognize as goddess, you know, so, uh, you know, in the great tantric statement, um, Without Shakti, Shiva is Shava is is a corpse. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that so so that's what I that's what I what I relate to when I think of reality as goddess.
0: That's beautiful. Is yeah. Yeah. So then my the, my second question was. Um, a, a similar kind of question is when you say that you approach spirituality in a pragmatic way what would be some examples of of approaching spirituality in a non pragmatic way you know how how is how is that sort of a, a a unique approach to spiritual practice to to perceive it as pragmatic ultimately
1: well i think that most spiritual processes and i exclude tantra from this okay um tantrikas are i would say very very pragmatic in their approach to spirituality yeah um, but most spiritual traditions including the one I was trained in have a couple of approaches to enlightenment or a couple of approaches to state changing you know whatever whatever you however you describe it and they're prescribed pretty much for everyone even though you know in you know you might be given your own mantra but you would not necessarily be be given a uh, a quiver full of practices that you might want to use in different circumstances. You know, there's. It, so I would say that many spiritual traditions are, in a certain sense, one size fits all. You know, for example, I have many friends who teach classical. You know, I would call it neo Advaita, uh, and 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 teach a practice which I also teach and which I love. You know, where you you know you. Tune into the awareness of your of the sensations in your body and the sounds and uh, and the thoughts and the breath and you you know you kind of cycle through awareness of uh, inner and outer objects and then you tune into the awareness that holds them all you know that's a beautiful practice mm. um, and very appropriate in certain conditions but what what I've discovered is that in different states and in different situations uh it's very important to find a practice a way of holding yourself a way of understanding reality that really works in that moment Mm. and you know so and of course in the upayas of shaivism uh which is i think a great system for understanding why practice might be different you know and and i know you're very familiar with the upayas that when you're feeling very very separate you know very much in your individual dualistic understanding indeed even emotionally upset you you would do exactly what my friend did and try to find something that would make you feel better in that moment right yeah you know or or find or find a way to use the use the moment to enhance your sense of you know interiority of everything's happening inside one one great heart that might be the skillful practice or the skillful practice might be to you know to sit and do some pranayama and asana and you know just kind of get your pranas functioning. Or the skillful practice might be substituting a positive thought for a negative thought. But that's what I mean by pragmatic. You know, you you have you um you're experimental in your practice mm-hmm. and you notice what uh, what what tends to expand your awareness. You know, make you. Make you more focused when you need it and more relaxed when you need that, um, what keeps you feeling the divine nature of your own being and etc so and it's never. One size fits all,
0: right? And there seems to be like an openness at the very heart of it, because you're not just yeah. you're not just doing a practice that's sort of been handed down to you in a sort of dogmatic way. This is one size fits all. I'm going to do this, you know, and only this. But rather ca- having kind of an open ended, experimental approach to the practice that takes into consideration, you know, maybe the shifting nature of our embodiment. Even like some uh, sometimes yeah. we're going to need different practices get, given where we are where we're at. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. So, um, so that's what I mean by pragmatic. It's one of the reasons I love the tantras, mm. you know, because it's it offers such uh, such scope for for creatively working with your own with your own mind and your own body and your own prana. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and of course, it is an ad, tantra is advanced practice. I mean, yeah. I came to this after I would say yeah, after around almost 20 years of practice, you know, and which was mostly meant a practice. Mm. Uh, so it, I would say you, ha- in a certain sense, you kind of have to earn the right to experiment. Mm. Mm. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you take 20 years.
0: Well, yeah, but there, you're, you're onto something there when I, I think that, you know, these practices are really the esoteric heart of the whole tradition. And, and, and it's, you know, for some people, it's, you know, it's it's a lot. And, and so they, there has to be certain, I think, for me, I, I don't think I would have been ready for these teachings when I first started my own personal practice. And, and so, um, uh, but, but moving back to now deity yoga, I wanted to, um, actually, I want to ask you something about. Uh, you know, when when we bring up the notion of the divine feminine and, and I sort of understand what you're saying is there it, it's not that you it's the divine feminine instead of the divine masculine. There's almost like um, uh, um, um, a mission to kind of extract something that's been a little bit, repressed in a certain kind of way is am i right to to yes to get catch that because yes. especially when you mentioned that you know the form of the shakti has not been so much um present you know we have lots of forms of shiva but the forms of the shakti you know when they are considered they're usually considered just as kind of consorts to the male exactly. deities and yeah. not really considered in their own um uh, i don't know vibratory power or essence so then um you know have have you encountered any resistance to this, um, to approaching the divine feminine in this way? I mean, uh, I, I hate to say like sexist responses, but, or, or thinking, oh, that's, that's, that's perfectly fine for, for females, but for, um, for women. For right. women. <laughs> and how do you respond to that when you encounter that kind of resistance? Well, that's an
1: interesting question because the most, uh, the most resistance that I receive for this viewpoint is from the, you know, the so-called non-dual community, right? Um, you know, the students, the students of Adya and, uh, you know, Rupert Spira, both of whom are teachers I love and admire. So this is not in any way a critique of them. Uh, but, but there's a, there's an idea in, in, you know, especially in my neighborhood in the Bay area, uh, where you, you know, pretty much can't shake a stick without running into a, Non-dual practitioner, or someone who regards themselves as a as a Ramana Maharshi style non-dual practitioner, um, so th- they get very insulted at the idea that there is masculine and feminine, that there are masculine and feminine currents in in a non-dual reality. In other words, um, they can't accept the 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 tantric secret that uh, that even in the non-dual there's movement. Yeah. you know it's and and I think honestly uh, I I think that that's a um it's a paradigm issue you know that so and I and I would say it's has not been my experience with with people who really have incarnated you know who really embody uh, the, the non dual enlightenment the classical Ramana Maharshi style non dual enlightenment. Uh, they get it, as Ramana did. Yeah. You know, I mean, Ramana was a great lover. Um, so, yes, to that. Uh, secondly, I, most of my workshops and most of my programs are, uh, most of my students are women, mm. and most of the men who study with me are, you know, they tend to be men who. Um, who are obviously open to the right. idea of the divine feminine, uh, often, you know, in trying to find their own relationships to the feminine inside themselves. Uh, so, so I don't get that kind of pushback in programs where poor people have signed up to right. study with me. Right. Um, I I would say that the main pushback that I get, and that I think anybody who, who, who works. In the field of non-dual awareness, and also in the field of deity practice, uh, is is a resistance to the idea of deity or a personal, you know, personal divinity. Yeah. Uh, you know, or as Ken Wilber says, the second second person spirit. Mm. That there's, you know, it's we're all kind of postmodern and post-religious, most yeah. of us. So, so and deity just sounds so religious, yes. and um, and also Hindu, which. Um, is not the most fashionable spiritual path in, so in the West
0: so this is so fascinating this is what I, I really love this topic and so I, let's go into that then so so what you're what you're offering it seems to me is that the that maybe this kind of understanding of deity uh, and, and sort of looking at deity in the terms of our own, our own kind of religious baggage. It's problematic. Right. So, what is the uh, what is the more radical way or the alternative way of understanding deity that kind of surpasses or transcends this um, these religious samskaras?
1: Okay, beautiful question. So, I would take it in stages. So, at one level, at the level of practice, that deity yoga as it's practiced, for instance, in Tibetan Buddhism, which, as I'm sure you know, they have a very sophisticated tantric deity practice. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the one most familiar to Westerners, uh, that the the idea is that you take on a deity, you take on a a personal deity as you would take on a mantra, mm-hmm. often for a particular period in your life, you know, maybe not permanently, but and and your practice is to is it's and I, I do think this is the essence of tantra. You you bring the deity into your meditation for several purposes. One because Because as human beings, personal connection, love and devotion, you know, it's very, you know, as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, it's very hard for someone who's a, who loves the unmanifest to actually experience devotion. So, so a deity is like a focal point for your feelings of personal affection and everything that goes with it, uh, including, you know, feeling that there's, there's, I, I call it the uh, invisible friend uh, <laughs> kind of deity practice. Um, but, but more important is that when you meditate on a divine form and bring it into your body and bring it into your awareness, it literally cooks your awareness mm-hmm. and it, and it begins to allow you to embody the qualities of that particular deity energy. And I do think that it, that's what makes deity practice so skillful. It, it literally, uh, mm-hmm. Purifies your inner field and you know and divinizes your subtle body in very very powerful ways. So, just as a pragmatic practice, um, it's it's a it's a it's a very significant for many people. Um, now, in terms of metaphysics, at least my understanding of the you know of the way that the tantric Buddhists. As well as Hindus, as well as Taoists, and well, in fact, as, as you know, not unlike some of the teachings in, in uh, Christian and Jewish metaphysics, is that there are very much levels of subtle reality that we don't see. So right, so so, and of course, in Kashmir Shaivism, there's a the the Tattwa teaching um, yeah. actually locates deities in certain tatwa in certain. Uh, tattvas above Mm. maya and certain tattvas below maya and uh so essentially when the way i experience it is that when i really tune into a deity energy when i make when i make that the deity practice a part of my daily meditation practice that i more and more become aware of the presence of uh of this kind of energy vortex i call it that's that's in the field, and that, along with all the other energy vortexes in the noosphere, mm-hmm. uh, the 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 energy vortex that's connected to a particular invocational or mantric or visualization of a deity has very distinct qualities, and uh, and can actually, you know, in, it, once you have mastered it, it the the, the contemplation can actually Take you into a much higher tatwa than you are ordinarily experience mm-hmm. um, through that connection.
0: So the deities, so, uh, so the deities, the images of the deities are sort of pragmatic tools to help you cultivate a relationship with what is at heart and energetic quality. Is that essentially it?
1: Yes, and ultimately uh, a doorway into the absolute. Mm-hmm. You know, so so uh, I mean, you can approach deity. As you know, for example, as you approach mantra, yeah, um, you can approach it at whatever level you find yourself in. And if you're, a, you know, if you're a devotional person who comes out of a religious tradition and you've been schooled, for example, in loving Christ, then there would be a natural affinity for that particular vortex, you know, the Christ consciousness vortex, which is, you know, one of the more powerful, yeah. um, uplifting energies in the planet. But you know, but that Christ energy—if you really give yourself to it—it's going to melt. You know, it's going to create a samavesha, a melting into the subtler and subtler layers of it, and and you'll find yourself in, you know, in a state of radical divine communion. Mm-hmm. And the goddesses, you know, especially the high, what you know, what I call the the, the higher goddesses, the goddesses, you know, who exist at, at the who are outside Maya. Um, beyond Maya, uh, they are open doorways into, you know, into the divine Inus, you know, the divine awareness. And Shakti, as they say in the Tantras, uh, takes you to Shiva. So, you know, f- through the form, you you really enter into the formless. Um, but in my experience, you know, in a very very juicy and bliss focused way, and I'm. I admit freely to being a bliss freak. (laughs) That's
0: great. I love that. (laughs) bliss free Um, so let's go I would love for you if you don't mind to share maybe a deity yoga practice so maybe pick a particular uh, deity and what would be involved in this kind of um, practice does it include the mantra of the deity does it include um, um, imagery that you would focus on visualize and then my follow up question after that I'll just mention it now is if you already have if you already I'm I'm asking this actually for personal reasons if I'm initiated into my own into a mantra how do I i adopted this kind of a practice without it conflicting with my own um uh, with my own kind of mantra practice
1: um that is a really good question i, I would say it would depend on you know if you if you're practicing with a goddess beach mantra mm-hmm. for instance um then you would add the visualization and the invocation to that mm-hmm. uh and um the other way to practice is to to create a period in your practice or you know a period in your day where you you actually experiment and play with goddess energy so so let's say uh let's say you want to practice with the goddess durga yeah. you know it's which many many women especially like to do because she's very empowering uh so so what you would do is create find a form that can be the focal point which could be a statue or a crystal or A picture. Um, I I generally find that if you're if you're up for it, that the iconographic pictures uh, are, are, you know, if you you have to find the right one, Mm -hmm. Um, or a yantra, which for many people is preferable. Yeah. You know, for instance, I've been for a few years doing a Lalita Tripura Sundari practice, and I with a uh, with a meru yantra, with a three-dimensional yantra, uh, Sri Sri Chakra yantra, and uh, I've never had an actual, you know, form of her that looks, you know, that that looks like a woman. It's been a completely abstract practice, and I practice with her mantra, and uh, and I and I do it at the beginning of my meditation so that I there's a, I do a little puja, mm. and then I spend fifteen or twenty minutes practicing with the mantra. Sometimes chanting, doing a ch- you know, practicing a chant that invokes her, the Lalita Trishati or the Lalita uh, Sahasranam. And then I, and then I meditate in the way I, you know, the way I'm meditating, which would, if you're doing a strong mantra practice, it would, it would mean practicing with your mantra, uh, and you'd have to experiment with it.
0: So with, with the focus in, with the yantra, and you said you have a three dimensional yantra, um, could you speak a little bit about that practice? Are you focusing on a particular point in the yantra? Are you sort of loosely gazing at it? Like, what is that? Um, how do you include that in your practice?
1: Uh, well, there's, as you probably know, there are many different ways to do it. One, you know, there's a very, f- with that particular yantra, and I suspect with others, there's a very formal practice, which includes ritual, where you presence the different the different um, aspects of the yantra. You know, the Sri Chakra has a series of triangles in different configurations, mm-hmm. uh, inside circles and inside squares and with petals. So you actually, in the traditional practice, you move from the outside to the inside to the heart, and then you meditate on the bindu the the point in the middle of it i uh, I basically meditate on the Bindu um, and I use it more as a focal point for for puja than as a meditative focal point, but what I've found is that when you do the puja and uh, connect to the energy of the of the yantra, which you do over time. Mm-hmm you know, by just by just having it in your field and gazing at it in different ways, that that the initial practice of tuning into the yantra will set you in a in a particular felt sense that in this particular case, in the case of this practice, my inner experience of the goddess Lalita Tripurasundari Sundari is not so much although it has happened, of of her, you know, her her goddess form, her lady form, but more of of, of a particular light that comes into my subtle body and that I meditate in. And, uh, and, you know, a, a a felt sense of very blissful vibratory energy. And then, you know, and then eventually what happens is with the mantra, I kind of fall into the, the Madhyanati, into the central channel. And then it's, then meditation opens up and it's, um, You know, it's it becomes the natural meditation process that you're not orchestrating. That's beautiful. Uh, So, and I think you can do this with any deity, any goddess, um, feminine or masculine, any form.
0: Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Um, There, there's so much there we could go into, but I want to. I'm being trying to be economical with time. So let's. um, I want to talk a little bit uh, now about. Um, the divine. We, we've talked a little bit about you know our, our troubling times, <laughs> and you know you the the way that you're talking about the the, the shakti energies. Um, uh, there's uh, there's a way in which you, you uh, or, or maybe I read it this way, but it, it seemed like you were implying that different periods um, have a certain quality that reflects a certain deity. So if we were to capture, if we were to describe our sur- our current situation. In in terms of, of the kind of deity qualities, what would you say is the kind of reigning uh, shakti at the moment?
1: Well, I would say we're definitely in the Asuric realms. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this is like this is one of those moments when, um, you know, when the the Asuras have thrown the the devas out of their heaven realm, and uh, and they're just and they're starting their you know big footed takeover. So, and it, you know, t- traditionally, I, I actually think it's kind of a classic situation.
0: Talk First, about that, because I think that's, that's going to be comforting for some people. If it's classic, it's like, okay, so we've been here before. Right. This has happened before. Yeah, yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, uh, well, it, you know, in, in Indian mythology, which is very much a mythology of, of cycles, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, like Taoism, there's the understanding that, that, that there's that there, the time has cycles and that the, that, you know, light times and dark times more or less interface and often succeed each other. And as you know, one of the, one of the staples of goddess mythology, especially, but also of Krishna, Krishna mythology, uh, and Shiva mythology is that these, these incredibly powerful demons gain a kind of a siddhi, a supernatural power that makes them invincible. Mm. And, uh, and then they conquer the light forces and the light forces are wandering in darkness uh (laughs) and and then they you know that somehow someone points them to the divine and they you and usually in the most famous stories it's they you know they're pointed towards the goddess durga who and this is i think a very significant part of what it is to be a lover of shakti that in these stories Durga is hidden, you know, she's in the mountains, she, nobody sees her, she's very hard to find, so the, the gods have to do, make a pilgrimage and they have to petition and pray and, uh, and eventually she appears and agrees to, um, to you know, use the gods' own weapons to defeat the demons. And that cycle has been, as you know, it's been part of Indian mythology and of course hero mythology in all cultures. But it the the you know, the essence of the hero's journey and the heroine's journey is that moment when the dark forces seem to have won and the balance in the universe seems to have been destroyed. And then then we have to know we have to have the skill both to prepare and to wait for the time because it's obviously this is not the time, right? <laughs> that this, is, this is the moment to, to hang back and wait. Um, and I was thinking this morning that it, it, it's a little bit like, if you know the Mahabharata, mm. it's a little bit like that moment when Yudhishthira has lost the dice game to his evil cousin and the Pandavas are exiled to the forest. And, they, you know, and for 13 years, they actually do sadhana, they do practice, And collect their strength and you know enlist alliances and then after 13 years they fight the battle and that so much of that section of the Mahabharata is about uh, stability and uh, you know and learning how to cultivate themselves on a deeper level Mm -hmm. and working with their frustration so um, I do think that it's that kind of time Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it and that the time will change, and that hopefully, to speaking in political terms, you know, I I'm I'm a veteran of okay. the, the the very similar situation in 1968. So having been through 1968 and and that that moment, you know, the 68, 69, 1970 uh, was a pivotal moment for me because it was really it was really in those years. That I started on the spiritual path. That was my reaction to what seemed like a terrible disaster at the time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, much it seems like it seems like I we'd be almost grateful for Nixon now, but <laughs> <laughs> but it Um, but, but for a lot of people in my generation, it was you know they interpreted it as a as a sign that they should you know increase uh, revolutionary activity, often violent revolutionary activity and that was uh that was clearly not an effective tactic yeah and actually created a lot more problems for the progressive movement than than it uh than it helped so so i i just i just hope that i mean i love the, the i love the commitment to activism yeah. that we're seeing now i think it's i think it's fantastic and we you know we must we must become activists, but skillful.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, like, like it's. I mean, we're yeah. So it seems I won't like it say has to anymore. be.
0: Yeah, it has to be grounded in, in, in wisdom. It seems.
1: It it does it does it it has to be grounded in wisdom and um, and it requires a certain tactical maturity. You know, it's yeah. not about emotional uh demonstrations totally even though there is something about letting the letting the world know how you feel about it of that's course. useful yeah 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 but but, to, but yeah. I sorry no, go ahead no that's that's all I wanted to say yeah. um the the other thing that that really uh I really felt in this in this election season because I I'm a, am a great lover of the Spandakarikas, the the verses on vibration, which essentially uh, are about about the, the the way the currents of energy uh, will either liberate us or take us further into bondage, and that you know so much of satna is about recognizing the nature of energy in the field and learning how to work with it yeah. and ride it, and you know it became clear at a certain point that the the spanda in this particular election was off the charts crazy and that yeah. um that there was no way of working with it oppositionally you know that it that it and that and that for a practitioner riding it you know and riding the emotions into the heart at this point you know assuming that uh, i wish we'd more of us had gotten out and voted but be that as it may <laughs> um right but riding those emotions into the heart uh you know, is a skillful way of working with very difficult and dark emotions. And when you do that, then your insight about what to do in the, you know, in the physical world becomes, becomes much more empowered and wise and smart Mm -hmm. (laughs) so so there's a way
0: so what i hear you saying is that you know and i and this is sort of something that i found also in your in one of your um articles you talk about terror lust anger and sadness can be ladders to transcendence so what i hear you saying when you're talking about riding the wave of the spanda of this election into the heart is that that you know um contrary to a kind of rejection you know people who want to turn off turn it off and and shut it out in order to ride to the heart you're saying quite the opposite it's like like face it, and actually, yeah. and actually, the the kind of the horrifying, <laughs> the horribleness of what we're perceiving actually itself can be a you know a, a track to the heart. Can you can you explain a little bit more about what that means and 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 how that works?
1: Well, I would say that this is the you know this is the razor's edge of tantra. Mm-hmm. It you know is it is this recognition which is in it's in two of the you know really foundational texts of. Kashmir Shaiva Tantra, as I as I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. that uh, that at the heart of intense emotions and intense situations is a particularly concentrated quality of Shakti, which if we can bring our attention away from what's going on, of the, you know, of the the external manifestations of it, and really tune into the originating force, uh, that, that 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 force will. Uh, actually in that moment, make us aware of the truth about ourselves, which is, you know, undiluted, unadulterated Shakti vibration, love energy, which, you know, which has an innate creativity that, that allows situations to shift and change um, consciously Mm -hmm. because you've gone to the root. You know, you're not at the, it's, it's like, it's like the, you know, and it's such a fund- foundational principle of all spiritual traditions, uh, is that if you if you you know if you go let yourself um, focus on the the goals that the senses have in mind, you know you just endlessly driven into you know whatever your reactivity may be, whether it's you know greed, desire, anger, endlessly acting itself out. Whereas if you turn into the source of it. You discover that the source is really the divine energy that we call Spandashakti the yeah. the vibrating fountain of power and love, yeah. and uh, and then um, so I think the key here is also recognizing that you're not trying to f- fix it. You know, you're not yeah. trying to get rid of your anger or get rid of your sadness. You're you're actually going to the heart of it and finding that truth that at the heart of everything is divine, divine energy. Yeah. Uh, so, and I think that for many, of I mean, there are many tantric practices to help you feel better. Uh, you know, when you're angry or sad, but this is the one, this practice asks you to, to really have a powerful, focused, disciplined intent to find, the divine heart of even the most negative and difficult feelings, yeah. uh, and it's it's deeply transformative, as as I'm sure you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's 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 really a very radical, and I think it's getting more. Um, Airtime, so to speak, uh, of uh, 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 in contrast to the kind of um, maybe trajectory of practice that would deny the utility of these, you know, quote unquote, negative emotions. And and what I love about the tantric path and what you're offering is that no, it's we can't, you know, we can't say this is divine and that's not divine. Everything is sort yeah. of a gateway uh, uh, when it's you know when it's understood with wisdom
1: yeah exactly and uh you know and it's very it's very radical and it you know it 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 demands that you work with your own preferences yeah uh, in a you know in a with a lot of renunciation so it's not it's not it's not as some people think it's not a practice for let, letting emotions rip or following every desire it's really a practice of deep refinement that leads to a deep refinement of emotions and desires yeah. but but in a in a way that that uh, that doesn't make um, that doesn't make good and bad uh, a kind of um, that doesn't ask you to reject yourself and others right. uh, on the grounds of preference. Mm-hmm. So and it's as you know as you know this is a big conversation that is w- one always has to have in in discussing these teachings. Um, which is that that it it's not it's it's not about excusing evil.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's it's about it's real. Yeah. It's a really important point. It's because it's very hard for for people who you know who who are dedicated to the true, the good, and the beautiful um, to deal with a philosophy that seems to be excusing evil.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but you know it it's it's really about. Transcending and including evil in a way that allows you to to function, you know, at your best, at your goodest, truest, and beautifulest, uh, while having a genuinely non-dual view. Mm. Um, it's not—I'm a great admirer of Joanna Macy, uh, you know, who's, I think, a she's a wonderful example of a Buddhist activist who has a strongly non-dual view and yet has— you know, is completely committed to social action and environmental action. And she said something, I think, quoting another environmentalist. She said, it's not that we're, it's not that we're, we're trying to, you know, it's not that we're working to save the rainforest, it's that the rainforest is working through us to save itself. Mm, Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. 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 And, And I, I, that understanding just changes the whole
0: frame. Mm, Yeah, it really does. Wow. Wow. You know, that's such a, I feel like we're just getting started, but I feel like that's a beautiful note to end on, even though I would love to talk to you for another hour. But this has been a really beautiful conversation, Sally. Thank you so much for chatting with me. My
1: pleasure, Jacob. It was a lot of fun.
0: I'm glad you had fun. Me too.